Yeah, that same dude said get rid of the offering plate, said get rid of the choir and orchestra. So uh, uh, we're going to get rid of the dude. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Thank you, John, choir, orchestra. Victor, look forward to the next Sunday night. Uh, we'll have the orchestra down at uh, Warrington Campus for that wonderful concert for Veterans Day, 6 o'clock. So you join us a week from tonight, 6 o'clock down at Warrington. And tonight at 6 o'clock, right out in the Corners building, let's pack that place and have prayer. Pray first. You come. We'll have prayer together. We'll pray. We'll fall on our knees. We'll cry out to God for revival as we've been doing every first Sunday uh, evening this year. And so you join me tonight, 6 o'clock, Corners building. We'll be right there. And then next Sunday night down at Warrington where we'll join our orchestra and have a wonderful, wonderful time of worship and uh, thanksgiving for those that uh, have and are serving us. Romans chapter 7, as we come this morning to a message entitled, The Struggle of a Saved Soul. A saved soul. The struggle of a saved soul. There, there are a lot of people who argue about uh, the context of Romans 7. Some people say that Paul is writing about his life when he was lost. Uh, some say that he's writing about the life of the man who's backslidden and is run from God and is away from God. There are others that I would be in the camp of Romans 7 sharing the process of Paul's struggle toward sanctification. He spent three years on the backside of the desert learning, and we all walk in this struggle. And I believe that is what Paul is writing about here, uh, pointing us to Romans 8. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is the reality of the struggle. Romans 8 is the victory over the struggle. And some say, y'all just not even look at chapter 7. I think that would be, of course, a miss to skip a chapter and run to victory. So let's understand the struggle because many are walking even in it this morning. Romans 7, and I'll begin reading middle of the chapter in verse 13 and read down through verse 25. And you follow along because this now is the word of our great God. Therefore... Did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I, I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now read out loud with me verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. The struggle of the saved soul. This struggle between spirit and flesh. As I said, there are a lot of varied ways of looking at chapter 7. Dr. W.A. Criswell, I listened to several days ago, preached a sermon uh, of course, recorded, he's dead and gone to heaven now. But uh, Dr. Criswell preached a message he entitled Living in Romans 7. <laughs> he said, Some people, as I already said, believe we ought to just pass through seven and get to eight. But he said, Eight is the victory, seven is our present reality of this growth that we are in toward and in sanctification. We ought to be more like Jesus next week than this, more like Jesus next year than this, more like Jesus the following decade than the one we are in. There is this process, and sometimes we ratchet back and forth. Now, hear me and hear me clear. I, I do not find when I read this text that you are a person of two natures, the old and the new. He says the old nature has died, and we have a new nature. But that new nature which is in us is still in this body, in this veil of tears of flesh. And he speaks strongly to the mind. Your mind, you still have a body, and you are in it. There is a day of victory coming, glory to God, when you leave this body. And you've gone to glory, and you will be forever victorious, but until then you still live in this flesh. And there are times when your mind will say, you ought to do that, but then you do this. And there are times you'd say, I don't want to do that, but then I do it. And it's temptation, and this world comes, and the mind. That's why you must take captive every thought. For as a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. And if you begin to run filth through your mind and your eyes and your members will lead you adrift. We are prone to wander away from God. But there is a struggle and there can be victory when we come to Christ. So this morning I want us to look at this text. Take a few moments and I'll give a gospel invitation. I'm going to ask you to come, give your life to Christ today. God would convict you and say, today is my day. Then you come. Uh, there'll be others here that you've never been baptized and you need to walk in these waters as others have and be baptized. Amen. Some of you today ought to join this church. Several people came by after the early service and walked in to Next Steps. And uh, one man came, told me he's a retired pastor. Can we join this church? I said, yeah, we got several of you, amen, that are here. Dr. Passmore wasn't here this morning, former member of this church. He came by and saw me uh, out in the foyer. He came to 
connection group and he came by shook my and he said I've got an assignment to go preach in another church today so I won't be there so praying for you I said well glory to God these retired preachers so encouraged me and this man came saying they want to join some of you need to come today and, and be a part of the olive family we invite you uh, to do that and we'll give that invitation extend that invite when we come to that part but before we do let's jump into this text and I want to see three things three items three principles if you will that are at work in this struggle of a saved soul first of all I, I submit to you the conflict it's found in verses 15 through 23 these two spirits that are in everyone warring against each other. Uh, if you are a saved man, that spirit of Christ is in you and your mind comes against and sometimes for, but then we, we have this problem as James 1.8 and James 4.8 uses twice. James says we are often double-minded men. Uh, that we are thinking in two realms. Pulling against each other, double-minded, when we must be singularly focused on Christ as the Lord. Many people that Paul was speaking to here coming out of Judaism in the Old Testament law. The law is not evil. The law points us toward Christ. But then some that would be saved would take the law and make the law the high point and it would lead them to legalism where rules are adhered to over righteousness you must not fall into this trap of legalism because it will always move beyond scripture to preferences and when your preferences rule you rather than biblical principles you've moved in the legalism there is this waging war. Notice it in verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my, there it is, my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Verse 22 speaks, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. There's the inner man of 22. Then there is this waging of war against my mind in 23. There it is. Paul uses the principle in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of this chapter. He gives this wonderful illustration. Now listen to me. This is not teaching about divorce and remarriage. Paul deals with that and Jesus deals with that. And he gives those principles. 1 Corinthians and Jesus in the Gospels. Here Paul is using an illustration. Where he says, when a woman is married to a man, the law says that she is to remain married to him until his death. And at his death, she then is free to remarry. But if she marries another while married to him, there is an adulterous situation according to the law. But when the man dies, she is then free to marry another. His illustration in the context of Romans 7 is that we are in this body, dead now to self, the old man, and free to be married unto Christ. That's the illustration here. That after you are dead to the old life, then you, you, you are married unto the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And the way that you would adhere to your mate is the way that you would love him singularly. No one else in your life but that he is the Lord. Oh, we get into this legalism and uh, it reminds me of uh, the story of the Quaker. I don't mean Quaker Oats, I mean Quaker by religion. Uh, Richard Nixon was a Quaker. Uh, He had some issues. The Quakers use Old Testament, uh, I mean uh, Old Bible lingo, Old English most of the time, the these and the thous. And uh, the story is of the Quaker who uh, ran a farm and was milking a cow, and the cow kicked over the milk bucket. He got another bucket and began to milk again, and the cow kicked over a second bucket. The Quaker got off his stool and walked around and looked at Betsy and said, Betsy, thou knowest that I cannot curse thee. Thou knowest that I may not strike thee. However, thou dost not know that I may sell thee to a Baptist who will beat the devil out of you. Yes, amen. The struggle is real, is it not? You ever dealt with Betsy? Yeah. We've all had milk bucket kickers in our life. So how do we deal? That's the struggle of the inner man. It's real. But notice in verse 6, now we have been released from the law. Mm. Having died, this is going back to that marriage illustration. Having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. The oldness of the letter is the law. The newness of the Spirit is the Christ. And we see the conflict. It remains in your life and in mine. There is the oldness of the letter, the newness of the Spirit, the newness of the Spirit, the oldness of the letter. And they often collide in our life. And until we learn to come to the place of allowing Jesus to be the victor in our life, that old letter will draw us down. It'll steal our mind. It'll take us to places we really don't even want to go. And we sin and we confess and we sin and we confess. And Oh friend, I'm telling you, when you sin, do confess. But the Lord wants victory in your life. And He's able to bring that victory. Where that Our pauses between our needed confession are longer and longer because our sin is less and less. And we are becoming like Christ. Not keeping rules and regulations, but walking in the imparted righteousness of Jesus within us that gives us victory. Do you know those kind of people? Amen. Holy Loving unto God, living above reproach, not casting dispersion and judgment on you, but but living with the joy of Christ within their life and able to help you and bring the word that you need within your. Thank God for those that they're not always old people. You can come to spiritual maturation early in your life and God continues to grow you. So we see the conflict. We we all walk in this conflict of the struggle of the soul. But it moves us secondly to what I call the confession. The confession. And the confession is found in verse 24. I like it out of the uh, old King James where it puts an O in front of it. Wretched man that I am, the 
Paul, writing and the writer of the King James, added this word, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, you feel it. He's, he's tired. It's, it's heavy. He is helped. Oh, God, I am, I am wretched. I, I am miserable. I am, I am helpless. Who will set me free from this body of death? He's like Jacob at Peniel. He's pinned down by his own sin, and his hip is out of socket, and he limps the rest of his life. But he cries out, oh, wretched man. Friend, you'll never have victory till you come to confession. You're going to fall on your face and say, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm wretched. It's too heavy. I can't handle it. I'm helpless. And you cry out for help and you come to the Lord Oh, God, set me free. Who can set me free from this body of death? Now, there's a day coming when we're going to be set free. There was a young man who came by. He was in early service. He came by to see me before church out at I was signing these books. And by the way, we have those uh, devotionals out there, and we're signing those. Use them. Uh, uh, I've ordered some extras this year because Beth Harris helped me to write it, and it's the last project she ever did. And many people wanted to get those. And uh, someone asked me this week, said, did Beth write it? I said, well, it's got my name on it. Take that for what you want, all right? And we collaborated. We'll put it that way together. Yeah, I think that's when I told her to do it. But anyway, uh, a man came by and he said, Pastor, I've walked through cancer and God's healed my body. I'm doing well. said, my mother died. And he smiled and he said, you will make it. Well, glory to God. A day will come, mother will be released. That's this text. There, there's a day coming when we move out of this body. Amen? Amen? And we go into a place where there's no struggle of the soul. Amen? But until then, we are here. And while we are here, we, we are in this body. Now, the old man's died, but, but the body is still here. You still cut it and it bleeds. Your mind still works. Your eyes still see things and bring that temptation against your spirit. But the spirit can give victory. Who will set me free from this body of death? Ultimately, death will set you free from the body of death. But until then, the living Christ in you gives freedom from this body of death. Hallelujah. And the Spirit of God begins to work in your life. So there is the conflict. Then there is the Christ who is the victor. The, the confession comes and then the Christ comes who is the victor. And, and we see that in verse 25 that I had you read. Who will be able to set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I said to the folks up here in the orchestra this morning, they were playing that triangle. Then he had the nails going in during that song. Well, at the first part, every time they'd sing a song, he'd hit that triangle. Ding, ding. I said, I want you to stay while I'm preaching. Every time I say something good, I want you to go to ding. 
Well, right there, Jesus will set us free. That's when he would have gone, ding. That had been the victory march. Jesus does that for us, the Christ. First num- uh, chapter number 8, we'll open this up in fullness, and we'll see it next week. But let's just take a little sneak peek. Look in the first two verses. Chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Do you see it right there? There are the two things. There's the Spirit of the life of Christ and then the law of sin and death. Law of sin and death, law of the Spirit of Christ. And they come in conflict with each other, but who's going to set us free? Jesus will set us free. Only one time. In chapter 7 is the word spirit, as in Holy Spirit used. In chapter 8, we will find it 19 times. 19 times. It's the spirit life. It is the spirit life that will set you free, friend. You must learn to hear the Spirit of God and obey. Now, I know this sounds mystical, but I'm telling you, the spirit life has mysticism in it. Now, the mystical side never is in contradiction to what the Word of God preaches. The Holy Ghost will not tell you something in contradiction to spirit uh, of Scripture. I had a lady one time come to me and said, God, uh, I've been praying, and the Spirit of God told me to divorce my husband. I said, you just got bad pizza. <laughs> God didn't tell you that. that they, they were just, I mean, they hadn't been unfaithful. There was no sin. She just didn't like him anymore. I said, you didn't hear that from God. I don't know where you heard it from. You didn't hear it from God. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. But there are things you must deal with that are not spelled out in the Word of God. You've got two jobs before you. You can read the Bible all you want to, and it will not tell you go to Atlanta or go to San Francisco. But the Spirit of God will speak to you about that. The peace of God will rule your heart. He'll speak to you. I was walking out of a ball game one night. As I started out, Massive people there, and I went by, and there was a man and a woman, little, two little boys. Found out later they were nine and seven. And as I went by, I stopped and said, hey, did you have a good time to game? And he said, yeah. And I looked at mother and introduced myself. And, and she said, yeah, this is his first game. It's his birthday, and we brought him to the game for his birthday. I said, well, man, that's cool. And I looked, I said, did you enjoy it? And he said, yeah. I said, it's your birthday. I said, yeah. I said, you get anything? And then I felt the Holy Ghost nudge. I said, well, son, I, I want to give you a birthday present. Never met this family in my life. Probably never see him again. So I reached in my pocket and got out $100, and I handed it to that little nine-year-old boy. And I said, now, I want to give you this. It's not for me. I'm not this good. People give me money so I can bless people. I want to give you this, and I want you to do something with your little brother for your birthday. Will you do that? And I pulled out a gospel track, and I handed it to him. And I said, when you get home tonight, it's going to be late. But I said, tomorrow sometime, have your mother read this little track. Will you have, will you have her read the message? It's real short. Will you have her read that? I sure will. I don't know where that's going. I'm, it's not important, I know. It's important, I do. In fact, I'm telling you, God just w- will lead your life. But the, the law of of the body of death will tell you, no, 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 don't do that. But there'll be times the Spirit will say, I, I've been times I wanted to help people, and I've, I've had the Spirit of God say to me, no, sir, don't cast your pearls before swine. This is not right. 
You do more harm and good. Walk on. I'm telling you, there are times they're, they're hard choices. You got to obey your father. And when you obey him every step, I'm not telling you it even gets easier, but I'm telling you, it, it, it gives you more depth of relationship the more that you obey the father. Now, he tells us 99% of the things in the word of God that we're going to come up against. But then that sliver where we have to be sensitive to this, mm, to this law. Of the Spirit of Christ. We have to be there. God will set us free. God will set us free. He'll, he'll send encouragers in your life. That, that'll help you with that. And then he'll be the one to speak a good word to you. Last night. While in Tuscaloosa. I met an old, old friend. Ray Eddie Maxwell. Ray Eddie's a year older than I am. He was a fullback on our high school football team. I was a junior student quarterback. He was a senior. He was a big man on campus. Now, when I say that, he was the big man on campus in two ways. He was the big man on campus physically, but also he led out. I'll never forget. I saw him last night. He was on the Alabama 73 national championship team, played right guard for Coach Bryant, and they won the deal. They were honoring that team at the game, and so he was there, and I saw him, got a picture with him on the sideline. Uh, great reunion time. But what I remembered was 1971. First game, quarterback. I'm just as big now as I was then. I went in that huddle, and Ray Eddy had a little uh, stutter. Wasn't deep, but really, but he's stuttered, halted just a little bit. I'd called a few plays. You know, this was, you didn't have anything in your ear telling you there wasn't any signs to steal. Uh, you know, you, the coach just taught you didn't. You called the plays. You just ran the deal. And so I've been calling plays. We were not doing very well. And some of the guys began to argue with me. Said, oh, that, no. I'll never forget it. Ray Eddy was there at the end of the huddle. He said, uh, 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 shut up. He's in charge. Listen to him. And let me tell you, it got as quiet as a mouse. From that day till I finished, I had the affirmation of the big man on campus. I was the boss. Because if you don't want to deal with me, you have to deal with him. And let me tell you, there is one greater than you that will take up for you. His name is King Jesus. And he is the team captain. And he is the big man on campus, let me tell you right now. He will see after you. But you must bow to his authority and say, Lord. Oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And Jesus said, I will, I will, I will. You must come in confession. Now, if we're not careful, 
we'll tend to walk away from God after we're saved. You don't lose your salvation. In your hymnal, there's a hymn. It's number 15. You can see it, or you can look up on the screen and see the words. Look, look at this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter. Not a feather, a fetter. It's a chain. Lord, let your grace like a chain bind my, what kind of heart? Wandering. My heart will tend to wander and go, oh, God, bind my wandering heart. Now, look at this. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Did your heart ever get prone to wonder? To wander away from God? Prone to leave the God? I love him, but there's just something that causes me to wander away. And then the old hymn writer says it. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God within you. Lord, I'm, I'm prone to want. Everybody in this room have days when you're prone to wander away from God. It might be money. It may be sex. It may be drugs. It, it, it may be whatever. What draws you doesn't draw me, and what draws me doesn't draw you. But this world has this magnetism in it. It says, come our way. Come, come. And we're sometimes prone to wander off. We need to run home. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? Oh, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. Amen.